we become a Christian. I am crucified with Christ. The Bible says I am buried with Him and then raised with Him to walk in a newness of life. I die to self. I die to my desires. I give myself wholly to Him, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when I die, I now free myself from this husband called the law, and I am free to be united, to be in union with Jesus. From law to love, and it dictates my life. See, that's part of my identity, receiving the abundance of grace and then receiving the gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 5 and verse 18 Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 19 reiterates the same truth. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. For every believer you are righteous. It's a part of your identity. It is who you are. Righteousness, according to this passage, is a gift. You can't earn righteousness. It is a gift from God. Righteousness means right standing. Right standing with whom? Right standing with God. Right standing, right with, right with God, in union with God. It's not something that you do. It's a position. There are only two kinds of people in the world today. Only two kinds of people. People are either righteous or they're unrighteous. There's only two. It has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with language. It has nothing to do with culture. Has, there are only two kinds of people. There are people who are righteous and unrighteous. When we studied chapter 5 last week, we said that people are either in Adam or they're in Christ. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all are given life. Righteous or unrighteous. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. Listen, there's no degrees of righteousness. I'm as righteous today because I'm a child of God. I'm as righteous today as I will be when I get to heaven. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. Now think about this. Consider. Can a righteous person do an unrighteous deed? Oh, yeah. Have you already today? Can an unrighteous person do a righteous deed? Oh, yeah. Sadly, sometimes unrighteous people do more righteous deeds than righteous people do. 
Does the unrighteous deed, careful, does the unrighteous deed that a righteous person does make that righteous person unrighteous? No. Does the righteous deed that an unrighteous person does make that unrighteous person righteous? No. The only way to be righteous is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the penalty for my sin that He paid on a cross. The only way to be righteous is to believe, is to have faith, to believe God's report of His Son, to believe that His Son... Jesus is who God said He is. To believe that when He hung on that cross, He took my place. He was paying for my sin. He became sin for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It was for our sakes that God made Him, Jesus, that God made Jesus to become sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're righteous. We have the righteousness of God. And it's not based on good deeds. It's not based on what we do. It's based on Jesus it's based on what he did. Now look, rarely do I feel righteous. But it's not based on feeling. This is my identity. This is a fact. God views me this way. My heavenly Father views me this way. It's part of our identity. I've told a story before. 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, the old man who lived in the country, five, six days journey from Jerusalem, one time a year he would go and he would pick out a lamb and he would inspect that lamb because this is a lamb that was going to be offered as a sacrifice and it had to be flawless. And at the, uh, at the appropriate day, he would take that lamb and he would begin his journey to Jerusalem. And it was a dusty journey and it was a hard journey and it was a long walk and he would become very dirty and very filthy. But he had to go and offer this spotless, unblemished lamb for his sins, for, for the lamb to be sacrificed so that his sins would be covered. And, and, and I imagine him as he gets close to Jerusalem and he sees the hundreds of thousands of people that have come and gathered for the same purpose, to offer a lamb for the sacrifice of sins. And he becomes self-conscious and he becomes self-aware and he realizes how filthy he is and he realizes that he hasn't bathed in a long time and that he probably smells bad and that his clothes are a mess and he thinks to himself what are people going to think when they see me 
But he needn't have thought that because this was a journey that was not about him. It was about the lamb. He takes that lamb and he offers it to the high priest and the high priest takes that lamb and he puts it in a pen for four days and he constantly inspects that lamb and he finds no fault in that lamb and he finds no blemish in that lamb. It's all about the lamb. The high priest says before the lamb is sacrificed, I find no fault in him. All eyes were on the land then. All eyes should be on the lamb now. At this very moment in heaven, all eyes are on the lamb. Millions of people who have been redeemed gather around his throne and all eyes are on him. And they sing his praises and they worship him because it's not about us. It's not about how we look. It's not about how we act. It's not about what we've done. It's about the Lamb. For our sake, that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. Over in Ephesians Chapter 1, I read just uh, three or four verses for you. Listen carefully because this has everything to do with who you are. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's yours. It's part of who you are even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us. He predetermined that we would be adopted, that there predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. We forget sometimes these, these events that take place, these, these, these actual acts of God that take place in our life. First, He demonstrates to us, He provides for us His grace. Grace means that it's something that we don't deserve. It's something that we haven't earned. Grace is a gift. It's God's favor. It's God's expression of love to us. And in His grace, He calls us. He chose us. He calls us to Himself. We sense that call. And we by faith receive. We by faith, we, we believe. And when we believe, we become righteous. And when we become righteous, He says, I'm giving you life. You're a new creation. And now, I'm going to make you a part of my family. I'm going to adopt you into my family. Now folks, this has everything to do with who you are. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. That's who I am. He adopts us 
into his family. I know a little bit about adoption. I know a little bit about adoption from a father's perspective. 1995, I married the love of my life, Leanne. Wonderful, wonderful life that we had, you know. It's just her and me, and she was gorgeous, fun to be with. We had a good time together. About two or three years into the marriage, she starts talking about children. I got to be honest with you, that wasn't on my radar. We were having so much fun. But I love her. That's what she wants, that's what I want. So we start trying, you know, to have children. And we failed, and we failed, and we failed. Went to the doctors, found some problems, had a couple of surgeries. Tried again, failed. Did the in vitro thing, failed. Did the in vitro thing again, failed. We were getting ready to do it a third time. Got a call. Mark Perdue, missionary down in Costa Rica, he said, there's this young lady in our church, and she's pregnant, and she cannot Take care of this baby. Do you know anybody who might be interested in adopting a little baby? She was about five months pregnant when we got the call. I, I, I um, tried to be really spiritual, and I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray about this. And before I talk to Leanne, I'm going to really pray about this and see if this is what God wants us to do. Well, that never happened, man. You know, I, we get in the car to go home, and, and I said, hey, babe, got a call. And, and before I could get the story out, she was going, yes, 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 yes. Before he was born, we chose him, wanted him. We loved him before he was born. And then there's a long story about all of the Particulars that has to take place through all of that. But I would want you to know that on September the 7th of 2001, my life changed forever. Miami International Airport, I got to hold him in my arms for the first time. I experienced a love I had never known before. I loved that little boy. I'm not sure how much I loved him until I had him in my arms. Then I knew this is my son. And I loved him. And as we live life together, the thing that I keep thinking to myself that I want will to know more than anything else is how much I love him. How much I love him. I want him to know that. I want him to know it every day. I want him to know it with every decision that's made. I, it, when I say, no, you can't do that, I want him to know how much I love him. When I say, turn the TV off and go do your homework, I want him to know how much I love him. 
when I discipline him. I want him to know how much I love him. That's what I want him to know. I want him to know who he is. We, we have a perfect heavenly father. I am, I'm far, far, far from being a perfect father. Our heavenly father says no to us. But he only says no to us when it's best for us. Our heavenly father says, quit doing that and go do that. But he only does that when he knows that's what's best for us. I know that's true because I I, I can get a glimpse of how much he loves us. And when he disciplines us, it's only because he loves us. And when we fellowship together, it's because he loves us. When we spend time together, it's because he loves us. And when he involves himself in our life, it's because he loves us. I see these parallels in Scripture. The Bible says that we have been adopted into his family. First, his grace. Then our exercise of faith. Then we are given life. We're made righteous. And then he says, come be a part of my family. I want to be your father. I want to adopt you. This morning, very, very briefly, I I brought in my official adoption papers. Here they are. And I see in these papers, Scripture. I see things in the Bible that are right here. In this document, it's a two-page document. The third page has the seal at the bottom. That means it's legal. It means it's irrevocable. It's official. He's my son. I look at some of these things. I ask Rick to see if he could try and put some of these up on the screen. The first thing I want you to know is that the court that had, that, that had jurisdiction when we adopted Will had authority to carry that out. The Bible says in Matthew 28, Jesus said, I have all authority on heaven and earth. And God the Father has all authority. There's none above him. He does whatever he wants to do. He chooses to adopt you. And it's good to know that he has the authority to do that. I go on down this document and I see that it says the best interests of the child, it's number three there on the screen, the best interests of the child are served by this adoption. My best interest is to be adopted by him. Your best interest is to be adopted by him. We have a new life. We have abundant life. It says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, we have a new position. We have a new identity. No longer are we a slave. Now we're a son. Now we're a child. The best interests of the child are served by this adoption. It goes on and it says, Number five there on the screen, the permanent interest and benefits to all members of the household would be promoted by the adoption. And the entire household benefits. We are a household of faith. 
It has been a remarkable experience for me to see how my family has embraced Will, how Leanne's family has embraced Will. I don't know. I can tell you a little bit about how much his Mimi loves him. I don't know what I'd do without her. But it wasn't just Leanne and I that adopted Will. There's a family. It benefits the whole family. When we're adopted, we're adopted not only by God, but we're adopted into His family. Family's important. We treat family different. There's this, there's this bond in the family. There's this, this cooperation in the family. There's this love in the family. There's grace in the family. There's understanding in the family. There's caring in the family. And sometimes we get upset with one another, and sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say to one another. But we're family, and we'll get through it, because we're family. Listen, when God adopted you, it wasn't just you and God. He adopted you into a household of faith, the Bible says. And it's a glorious, glorious thing. That's your identity. You're part of the family of God. It's who you are. It's your position. It says further in, in, in these documents that, that, that there are fit and proper people to adopt a child and that they have adequate resources and adequate facilities to care for the child. Adequate resources. When Jesus was teaching the parable of the prodigal son, he was talking about the father in, in, in terms of the heavenly father and the father says about his son or he says to his son, all that I have is yours. Did you know that that's what God says to us? All that I have is yours. In Ephesians 1, we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's who we are. That's our identity. Our privileges change when we're adopted by the heavenly Father. We have the privilege now to approach Him anytime the Most High God, to have audience with Him, to talk with Him, to meet with Him, to commune with Him. Because we're His child. If I called my optometrist, Dr. Vijay, over here, if I called Waterford Lakes Eye Care, and I said, this is Dale Brooks, need to talk to Dr. Vijay. I'm telling you what they'd say. He's busy right now. Can I take a message and have him call you? But if his son Joshua called and said, hey, this is Joshua. I need to talk to my dad. I don't care what he's doing. I don't care who he's with. They'll say he'll be right with you. Right? That's the privilege of a son. That's the privilege of a child. It's a privilege that cost him Everything to give us. We have the privilege of intimacy, not just meeting, but deep, deep, true love. The Bible says in such a way that we cry out, our spirits cry out to His Spirit, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Intimacy. Intimacy. It says here as well that this adoption decree creates a legal relationship 
Do you understand that your relationship with God the Father is a legal relationship? It is. It's by law. It's, a, it's an eternal covenant. It's an eternal promise. And it's legal. And then I love the fact that he says in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, in him we have obtained, obtained a her, a, an inheritance. And even talked about the inheritance. Probably because there's not a big application there for me and Will. But there's a big application there for the child of God. But in verse 11, Ephesians 1, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's in control, he's in charge. So that we who were, first, were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him and you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You know what that means? This is irrevocable. We are sealed. We are sealed. I don't know if you can see that or not, but there's a seal there. It's a raised seal. It's legal. It's binding. It's a guarantee. It's irrevocable. Y'all, all of this is to remind us of who we are in Christ, what our identity is, what our position is, and then to challenge us and to encourage us to live according to who we are. to experience every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, to live and experience the privileges that we have as a child of the Most High God. You're a child of the Most High God. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. We are loved by him. That's who we are. I invite you to stand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Father, I as 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 there are there are there are many in this room who really, really, really have a little bit different perspective on what it means to adopt a child the incredible and the deep love in the sense of I'd do anything, I'd do anything for you. I will provide for you and I will protect you and I will guide you and I will spend time with you and we will experience intimacy and I want this. It's what I want more than anything. Lord, I pray that you might kind of convey that to us as your children, that that is your heart and that is your desire. It really puts a whole different perspective on the things that we do, on the good deeds. Lord, when there's that kind of love, oh, it becomes things that we want to do, that we get to do. I guess I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to kind of teach us that in our own spirits. Make that something that we embrace. 
Make that something that we remind ourselves every single day. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a child of the Most High God. And all that that implies, I want that to be our knowledge. I want it to be our experience. I want your love, Lord, I ask, to flow out of us to a dying and lost world who desperately needs you. Let's worship.